If you've been uh, with us over the past uh, couple weeks, you know that we've been uh, spending some time in the book of Romans. In fact, we've kind of come back and forth to it uh, throughout the year, and we'll probably continue to do that um, throughout the next year as well. But what we've been uh, calling this series is Mysterious Absolutes. And uh, what we mean by that is that the book of Romans contains absolutes. It contains things that that we, in many ways, need to believe in order to experience the salvation and the love of God. But what it also reminds us is there's a lot of mystery there, too. There's a lot of questions and a lot of things about God that we can understand in part, but not in whole. It reminds us that, that God, by his very nature, is often incomprehensible. But nothing is, is more absolute and mysterious than the love of God, and that is what we are really confronted with in our passage this morning. So I'm going to be reading from uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 26 through 39. This is God's Word. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose." For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of this passage, the absolutes that it contains, but also the mysteries and wonders of your love. So, Father, speak to our hearts as we interact with your Word this morning. May your Spirit say the things that we need to hear 
So help us to hear your voice here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. One of the things that that we do in that sonship program that I talked about earlier is to truly reflect on what God thinks about us, his people, in light of the good news of the gospel. And one of the, the questions that we ask ourselves is this. We ask ourselves, when God thinks about you, what sort of things does he think when he considers you, when he puts his mind towards you? And one of the things that we challenge us to think about is not to try to answer that intellectually, but to, in, to answer it more viscerally or emotionally. When God thinks about you, what does your gut tell you that he thinks about you? When I was uh, in college, I, I started dating a girl, and I ended up dating her for a few months. It wasn't my wife. Uh, it was somebody else. And, uh, and I really liked her. But I think looking back on the experience, I would say her thoughts towards me were about 50-50, right? In fact, I think as I look back on the situation, she dated me more out of pity than out of anything else. And, and I knew it instantly. I, I secretly could tell that she wasn't as into this as I was. So I really found no joy whatsoever in that relationship. And of course, we ended it uh, not too long after that. And I think sometimes that's what I believe God thinks about me. I don't think of that intellectually. In fact, I kind of understand what the gospel tells me intellectually. But in my gut, sometimes I think that's how God feels about me. I imagine half-hearted emotions or God feeling constantly frustrated or exasperated with me. I imagine that he only loves me begrudgingly, and that's often, frankly, why I sometimes have a hard time finding joy in my relationship with God, and maybe the same is true of you as well. But Paul, in this passage, paints a very different picture of God's affection towards his people. The book of Romans is very clear that if you are not one of God's own, then you are subject to God's anger and his justice. There is no redeeming love whatsoever in your life. But if you are God's own, then he loves you beyond what you can even imagine. In Romans 8, Romans 8 here, Paul talks about the magnificence of our spiritual adoption. We looked at that last week. And now what he speaks to is the caliber of God's love for his people. And there's really three things that Paul tells us here. The first thing that he tells us is that God's love has a presence. God's love has a presence. Uh, many, many years ago uh, now, there was a, one of the more popular movies that came out was a movie called Castaway. Uh, and it was a story about uh, Tom Hanks playing the main character, and it was a, it was a rather long movie. And about, it was a story about a guy who was in a plane crash and, and was left on an island to survive by himself. And uh, I won't ruin the ending in case you haven't seen it, but it really was a story about a love that didn't in the end last. It's about a love that that suffered from adversity and distance. 
Um, but one of the more stranger characters in the movie was a character named Wilson. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Wilson was uh, a volleyball that was fashioned in the form of or in the likeness of a person. And this volleyball became uh, the imaginary companion uh, for the main character in the movie. And, and there's even one point in the movie where the two are separated, the volleyball and the main character separated. And it's this really sad moment in the movie and you begin to get emotional and then you think it's just a volleyball, right? Uh, it's a great movie, but what it is a reminder to me when I saw it and to many is that we are all fashioned to be relational beings, and, and not only we fashion to be relational, relational beings, but presence in relationship is incredibly important. Presence is an important part about, of love. And what Paul does here is he talks about intercession. Intercession is, is when something is the go-between or the mediator in between two different parties. And what, what Paul tells us is that Christ intercedes for us. In verse 34, it says this, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You see, the gospel tells us that we, all of humanity, stood condemned before God as our judge. And the, and the price of sin weighed heavy on our shoulders. It burdened us. And yet what the gospel tells us is that Christ took our place. He interceded for us. He stood in between. He took the blow of God's wrath for us. And what Paul tells us here is that his intercession continues it wasn't just something that happened in time and in space and in history, but it is ongoing. It continues. And what the Gospels tell us is that Jesus Christ, after his death and resurrection and ascension, it tells us that he returned back to the Father and sat at his right hand in a position of authority. And what the Scriptures tell us is that even now, as he sits in heaven, he pleads on our behalf, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He sticks up for us. He is our advocate, always working in the heavenly realms on our behalf. And friends, this is good news. It's good news because our sin can no longer condemn us. Any accuser, including our own self, any accuser that rises up against us can no longer condemn us because Christ is our representative. Removing our condemnation once and for all, he is our advocate. But God doesn't just give us Jesus Christ as our intercessor. The passage tells us that we are also given the Spirit. It says that the Spirit intercedes for us as well. Verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit 
intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see, what all this tells us is that God, in his love, gives us his presence. He gives us his spirit. His spirit is with us at all times, making up for our weaknesses in some cosmically powerful way. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking of here. Despite being redeemed, if we look in our own hearts, despite the fact that we're redeemed, we all have to admit that we are still a mess. Sin still dwells inside of us. And and, and the passage even tells us we know what we ought to pray for, we know how we ought to pray, but we are such a mess that we can't even figure out on our own. And so what God does is he steps into our weakness. He isn't repulsed or turned off by our mess. Instead, he steps in and he intercedes for us. What was pretty wild is in the Gospels when Jesus began to talk about ascending back into heaven and leaving his disciples, he actually talked about it as a really good thing to happen. Now, why was it such a really good thing? He said, it's a good thing because when I go... The Spirit is going to come in my place. And so you and I get the Spirit present in our lives. The Spirit of God is always with us. It is never leaving. He's he's making sense and redeeming the mess and overcoming the weakness that still indwells and in present in our lives. John Stott said this, he said, The children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ is the intercessor in the court of heaven, while the Holy Spirit is the intercessor in the theater of our hearts. You see, God never stops working on our behalf. And it's a reminder that love isn't real unless it is presence. Unless it is present. So God's love has a presence. The second thing we see is that God's love has a plan. Verse 28. For we know that those who who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among believers. See, what this is telling us is that God, God's plan for you began at the very beginning. It is rooted in eternity past, beyond time, and beyond comprehension. Verse 29 tells us that, that he foreknew you, which means that, that before the beginning of time, he intimately had you in his mind. It tells us that he predestined you, which means that that from the beginning of time, he chose you to be a special recipient of the grace and favor of God. He called you, verse 29, while you and I were still dead and lifeless, caught in the trap of sin, he wooed us away from that lifestyle. He called you out of that deadness and that lifelessness. He justified you, verse 29. His own son bore the punishment that you deserve, and he credited you with his son's goodness. He made you right before him. 
What Paul also tells us is that one day he will bring you to glory. He will finally remove the stain and the pollution of sin that is in all of our hearts. And at that moment, you and I will receive the full blessings of God. Friends, if you are Christ's, then you are on a road in which your destiny is secure. Everything that comes on your path in your life is a part of God's plan to lead you to that place of glory. There are no dead ends or detours due to road work, even though sometimes this life gets very bumpy. But you can be confident that while he doesn't always reveal the details of the plan to you, wouldn't that be nice? While he doesn't always reveal the details of the plan to you, know that there is a plan that is being perfectly executed in your life. There are no mistakes. You see, we often get it backwards. We believe that God loves us and that he should get on board with our wonderful plan for our own lives. But ultimately, what the scriptures are clear is that it is the Lord's purposes that always prevail in our lives. It's the fall season, so many of you have had the experience of going to a corn maze before, and it's always fun to to take kids to a corn maze. I think we did that last year for a City Kids event. And it's always fun to to see the kids try to navigate um, uh, through a corn maze. And there's all sorts of detours and dead ends and all those sorts of things. And and, uh, it it can easily become a very uh, frustrating experience. Well, often I feel like our lives are like children getting lost in the mess of a corn maze. But one of the best parts of a corn maze is when you have the guy standing up that sees the entire big picture And shouts those instructions from above. Friends, the Lord is that person. He is the one that directs our steps because he steps above time and understands the bigger picture. You and I are not mice that are caught in a trap. Instead, we are lovingly cared for and directed by a God who intimately cares about the minute details of our lives and our days. You see, God's love has a presence. God's love has a plan. And finally, what we see, and maybe the most glorious, is that God's love has a grip. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Then verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I don't know about you, but an idea like this is hard for me to even imagine. Because I think even the best love relationships that you and I have on this earth are still imperfect. Even the best marriages in the best families that have the best relationships, even in those situations, we often don't love each other very well. 
often our love is, is more conditional on what others do for us. And so when we consider God's love, it is hard for us to imagine what perfect, absolutely perfect love looks like. But here, Paul beautifully and artistically begins to paint the picture of what that love looks like. He tells us that nothing gets in the way of God's love for us. Nothing can separate us from it. Nothing can take it away from us. No earthly or heavenly power or adversity can take the love of God away from us. No sin is too great that it will interrupt God's love for us. You see, God's love isn't fleeting because it isn't based on our faithfulness. Isn't that good news? That God's love isn't based on our faithfulness. Instead, it is based on His faithfulness and His perfection. God's love grips us. It will never let us go. There's often been times with our kids where we've, we've gone to places where there's where there's big crowds, and uh, those big crowds have, in many ways, made our kids really nervous. So what do they want to do? They want to grab hold of mom and dad, and they, they get a death grip on our hands for fear that they could be separated. And then there are times where they just want to run away, and what do we do as good parents? We grab their hands. Why? Because we see danger that they don't always perceive themselves. You see, God's love is like this. It grips us. It grips our hearts. It it provides comfort for us when we are scared and protection for us when we are in danger. Our sin doesn't loosen God's grip. Even our desire sometimes to run in the other direction doesn't loosen God's grip on our hearts. No circumstance in our life loosens God's grip on us. We are held secure. Nothing can separate us from God's love. One poet wrote this, Let me no more comfort draw from my frail hold of thee. In this alone rejoice with all the mighty grasp of me. You see, friends, love, we all know this, is the most powerful emotion that any one of us can feel and imagine. It's probably caused all of us at some point in our lives to do really weird and really bizarre things. Often we would gladly give our lives for those whom we love. It is the most powerful emotion of emotions that all of us can feel. And yet, even our strongest feelings of love are only a fraction, a fraction of the love that God has for his people. Add up all the love that is in your life, love of friends, love of parents, love of children. Add it all up, and it is only just a fraction of the white-hot affection that God has for his people. So friends, if you are Christ's, then you are loved far more than you can ever imagine. And isn't that what our hearts, at the end of the day, are really seeking? 
Isn't that what we desire more than anything else?